You are now listening to the Minority Trailblazer Podcast. Season 2, new intro, let the story begin. One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin. Hold me down. Welcome to the Minority Trailblazer Podcast. And I'm your host, Greg E. Hill, the culture change agent. On this show, we interview young, successful minorities in a variety of fields to educate, empower, and inspire our current and future generation of leaders. And today's guest is, man, man, I'm excited. Like, I mean, ugh, I'm, I hope y'all can tell from the energy. I'm excited to bring our guests on the show today. And I'm going to read a slight, 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 slight bio about her. And I mean, whew, it's, a, it's a mouthful, all right? <laughs> <laughs> she was introduced to the Shea Butter production in 2002, where she worked as an intern for the Department of State at the American Embassy. And oh my goodness, I can't say that word. <laughs> oh, I, I, it, y'all get me. If I, I, I'm going to spell it out for the audience. O-U-A-G-A-D-O-U-G-O-U. So if anybody can say that, please send me an email and I have you host the show. <laughs> but imagine if I said that word correctly. Let's get back into it. She went on to serve as a Peace Corps volunteer in Mali, where she helped to create the first Shea Butter Cooperative in her village. In 2005, she launched Shea Yileen International, a 501c3 organization that helps women in West Africa organize cooperatives and provide training on quality assurance and microenterprise development. And in 2012, she created Shea Yileen Health and Beauty LLC, a for-profit sister organization. The vision for this enterprise is to change the shea butter supply chain so that women shea butter producers can be fairly compensated for their labor. She has spoken on the issues of African women's economic and business development at various events, including the Department of State Speakers Program, Goldman Sachs Entrepreneurship Boot Camp, and the Secretary of State Global Diaspora Forum, as well as a Congressional Black Caucus Conference. In 2008, the White House Project and O. Oprah Magazine selected her as a national leader. As well as 2014, she was appointed to President's Advisory Council on Doing Business in Africa. She received her international relations degree from the State University of New York at Geni. How do you say that? Geneseo. Geneseo. So without further ado, I mean, I'm excited. I would like to introduce my fellow sister, Black Girl Magic. Come on, give us life, give us life, give us life. Miss <laughs> Rahama. Now say it right. You said it perfectly, Greg. Miss <laughs> Rahama Wright to the Minority Trailblazer podcast. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Greg. I'm so excited to be on this podcast. Oh, man, I'm excited, too. I'm excited, too. So as we always do, I'm going to start off by saying this show is broken up into three sections. And for season two, we added in a little special subsection to kind of get our, our, our guests their insight on what they would do in certain scenarios. But as always, if you listen to season two, season one, season two, we always open with a quote. So please, Rahama, share with our audience a quote that you love in a story about how you apply it to your everyday life. Yeah, one of my all-time favorite quotes, and it's funny that you ask people to say this because during my weekly team meetings, I always open up the meeting with a quote. So I -hmm. I love this. Um, And one of my favorite quotes is, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And this is an African Mm -hmm. proverb. And Mm -hmm. in terms of how I apply it to my everyday life, This is essentially how I've been able to build the team around me. Because a lot of times when you're a founder and when you're starting something, um, it can feel like 
everything is on your shoulders because you have this vision, you have this idea. But in order to really get the vision and idea, uh, to, in order to accomplish it, you really need to have good people around you. And mm -hmm. it's not just about the founder or the CEO, but it's also about the people around the vision, around the mission, the people who can come in, bring their talent, bring their skill sets, and help take mm -hmm. that idea into reality. Got you. And question, did you start with a team? Like, I know I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself, but that's really important. Did you start off with a team when you had this vision, this idea? Matter of fact, I, I know that's going to that's gonna bite into the story. So we're going to let the inside know, to be honest, like, you're, you don't have an accent at all. Like, I mean, you said. <laughs> yeah, I um, grew up in upstate New York. If you look at my name, my first name is Rahama, but my last name is Wright. And my dad yeah, I is. Was American. I grew up outside of Syracuse. Um, I'm going to uh -huh. end on my mom's side. Oh, okay. okay <laughs> That's okay, really okay, funny okay. of you. <laughs> yeah, because I'm, I'm yeah, listening. Why I'm like, don't you oh, have an accent? Why do you yeah, sound I'm like, American? <laughs> I'm like, Where, where's Raheem at? We got on the call. I was like, okay, cool. Where, oh, I'm waiting for her. I was like, yo, she has an assistant to assistant to assistant. I mean, directors. So I'm like, golly, how, when, when can I get in contact with her? <laughs> <laughs> so, so for our audience that's just new, because I mean, I, I, I read and I hope people got it. I mean, I'm talking about featuring O Magazine. I'm talking about President advisory council speaking at goldman sachs speaking and I, and I saw on your on your website yale yale i mean you have a lot of press but there may be a lot of audiences first-time listeners or listening to that never heard about you your product or what you represent so please break it down to our audience before you get into your your company and your organization who you are and make it personal yeah i mean i am a woman i am black woman in the diaspora from west africa from ghana who really wants to change the world, specifically from the perspective of helping other women become financially independent and empowered. And I served in the Peace Corps right after college, in my early 20s, very first time in my life, living in a rural environment. I'm talking about in a community with no electricity, no water, and I served in a community and assisted the, the, the community nurse. So I worked at the health center and mm -hmm. women on a regular basis would come into my health center. And mind you, I had no health background. <laughs> I was <you> know, <laughs> straight out of college, no health background, you know, uh -huh. serving at the community health center and really helping mm -hmm. the, the nurse do a variety of things from weighing babies, you know, providing pre and postnatal care to women. And oftentimes women would come into the health center and they would leave without the ability to buy medicine. And mm. so for me, especially coming from, you know, living in the U.S., having access to so many different things and really being very fortunate enough to um, grow up in a family where we had a lot of opportunities, seeing so many people who couldn't afford something that cost 20 cents and in some cases less than that or seeing people who live on, you know, less than $2 a day, that really impacted me. Um, mm -hmm especially since these people look just like me. And uh -huh. <laughs> um, it was very um, frustrating because I knew that, you know, Africa is a continent that has so many natural resources. It's actually the wealthiest continent in the world, yet mm -hmm. there are so many issues in terms of poverty. And I wanted to do something to change that. I wanted to, at that point, the my career trajectory changed because I felt very compelled to try to do something to support women, especially around economic empowerment. And that's mm -hmm. when I started researching income generating activities for women. I learned about shea butter. I had never mm -hmm. knew that shea butter came from sub-Saharan Africa. I didn't know that it grew on a tree. It's a fruit and inside of the fruit is a seed. And in that seed what? is the oil. Yeah. And even though we see shea butter marketed everywhere, you never mm -hmm. really see women. You never hear about the women in Africa who are the backbone of this industry. And so for me, learning about it, I felt compelled to do something and say, okay, if these women are making this great product, and I know I can find this product in the U.S. market for $20, why not figure out a way to connect the dots? Why not figure out a way to help these women who create this product, bring it to market so that they're able to generate a living wage? So that's what mm -hmm. we're all about. It's a simple business model, taking a local natural resource, empowering the people locally to organize around it, and then bring that product to market and create a direct link between the producers and the consumers. 
oh man that that was well put together i don't gotta add nothing to that that was like no <laughs> oh, that was amazing so you had this idea you're working at the peace corps you said i really want to change this whole culture and this whole way of things mm-hmm. what was the first thing you did because i read a little bit about your story and i see that it took some time to kind of get there but from the initial stage what were the first things that you did well you have to keep in mind i was in my early 20s i had no mm-hmm. money i didn't <laughs> uh-huh. have a network uh mm-hmm. i moved back um from molly t- uh to the dc metro area i didn't have a job i you know <laughs> but i had this idea and i had mm-hmm. i was convinced i don't know what convinced me but i was convinced this needed to happen and so one of the first things I did was I just started telling people about my idea. I started mm-hmm. talking to everyone, whether it was friends, family, um, people that I went to school with, professors, and really just started to talk to people about this idea. And from that, I was able to get suggestions in terms of like, oh, check out this resource or, or oh, you need to talk to this person who I know does this. And from there, I would just start reaching out to people randomly, asking them if they would sit down, talk to me, give me some advice as I was trying to put all these pieces together. I also Mm -hmm. really leveraged free resources like the SCORE program, which is part of the Small Business Administration. You can go to SCORE.org and essentially what they will do is they will link an entrepreneur with a senior executive or a retired senior executive who will provide you mentorship and guidance from everything on developing your business plan, your marketing plan, um, helping you figure out what your uh, profit and loss statement should look like, what your balance sheet should look like. So everything that I had absolutely no experience with, I was able to Mm -hmm. get via score as well as Google. I mean, I have a product line that's being sold in Whole Foods, but when I first started, I didn't know where to get caps. I didn't know where to get labels. I didn't know how to work with a printer. You know, I didn't know how to import, export. All of that stuff I learned seriously just by putting in questions in Google and whatever Mm -hmm. came up, I would just scroll down and I would read reports, I would read articles, whatever linked in an article or report, I would go to the, you know, the footnotes and see where they were referencing and essentially built my business doing that, just kind of putting it out there and um, getting questions that I didn't know answered and then utilizing those answers to grow my business. Man, that's that's powerful. And I think the two things I want to extract that that for our audience is first, and I don't think we ever talked about on the show, but I'm a big preacher of it. I don't think I even talked about it when I talk is um, the miracle in the footnotes. Uh-huh. Like I think people, we, we, we look at these lead sites and we look at, okay, we look at the main stuff that's going on. But when you look at where they got the resource from, and I'm talking about the good websites where they have sources. Uh-huh. So you look at the sources and then you go to the sources and then sometimes you take it a step for, further. You go to the sources, sources, then you start to realize, okay, this is what it really means, and especially in books. Like anytime I read a good book, I always, especially the ones that are that are reading well, in the back they have all their references. And then you go to the sources, and then you get the real story about things. I mean, I, if I'm looking at, if I want to do history history on Bill Clinton, I'll read his book. I'm going to get his slanted version. Right. But then I'm looking at the resource and I'm like, okay, let me go to him during b- before him. Who would he look up to? And then we can do this with our, our favorite entrepreneurs, our favorite actors. When we read their books and they say, oh, I used to look up to X, Y, and Z. Like when I was researching Kevin Hart, because I'm, I'm a speaker, but I love watching comedian. So I looked at Kevin Hart. I know one of his biggest influences was Richard Pryor. So I read Richard Pryor's book. And then I said, oh, what? One of his biggest influences was like Red Fox. So I read Red Fox's book. Right. And it, then it went all the way down. And I learned so much about the art and the craft and the real nitty gritty from that. So that's the biggest thing. And the second one I got from what you were saying is the Billy, the thirst to ask those questions. Yep. And because even even um, Tanisha, the, your your, your right hand person is partnership. She just said, OK, I want to see if I want to get her on this podcast. Let me just hit the contact now and send an email. Right. right. And a lot of people don't realize like the, a lot of people that they want to get in contact with a lot of things. They're like, I'll say if I want and we're going to talk to it later, your whole experience is getting into Whole Foods. But I know the basis of what you what you how you got into it was. Send out a contact first. I mean, I know people that wait whole years to say, okay, how should I get in Whole Foods? How's the process work? How do I do it? How to do it? Instead of just calling the phone. <laughs> or walking into a store. <laughs> Ooh, and, I, and like I, I'm, I'm getting I'm getting excited. I'm getting ahead of myself. But please, 
I read about share. Like, can you share about your experience? Okay, you have you have the product. Mm-hmm. Um, now you don't have the product yet. You having these ideas. You had ideas, and can you share with us? Okay, first getting the product and and seeing what your product was, and then walk us through how you begin to market it and get it into retailers. Yes. Well, one thing that I should say that's super important is I spent mm-hmm. a lot of time researching the market and looking at what products were on shelf. And mm-hmm. at that time, I mean, now there are companies who, you know, are marketing similar to Shailene. But at that time, nobody was talking about women. Mm-hmm. Nobody was talking about natural Shay in a mainstream um, space. And there's no visibility of these women. And so a lot of products that we would see in mainstream channels were using a very overly processed shea product that had chemicals, that wasn't healthy Mm -hmm. for you, and that was being imported from Europe and Asia. And so you had two options, either get shea butter at a, a fair or open market on the street where the quality was questionable, or the second option, get it in mainstream channels where it wasn't really natural shea because it's processed chemically in large seed oil facilities in Europe and Asia. Mm-hmm. And so those were really the only two options. And even brands that were marketing themselves as natural, they weren't using natural shea. Mm-hmm. And so I did intensive market research, going out, looking at what was in Target, looking at what's in Walmart, looking at what's in high-end retail stores, looking at what's in, you know, like your, your farm, local pharmacy and looking at what people are selling on the street. And I saw that there was a lot of fragmentation in terms of quality, in terms of pricing. Mm-hmm. And I also saw that there was nothing talking about women. And so because I did that initial research, I was able to figure out, well, if I'm going to bring a product to market, how am I going to position my product? How is it going to be different? And I want Mm -hmm. to add, initially, I was only interested in looking at how to get shea products bulk to large companies that were already selling shea products. So really Mm -hmm. just connecting the women to existing marketplaces. And that's when I learned that so many of the shea products that were being sold was not using a natural product because these companies were only interested in an overly refined, chemically processed shea. So that was oh. like, oh, okay, they're not even selling shea butter. <laughs> so <laughs> right there, I hit a challenge. And I was like, okay, so that's not going to work. So what next? And that's when the idea around developing a retail line came about. So figuring out how do I get the shea product produced, you know, get the shea made in, in Ghana, and then how do I connect that? to a contract manufacturer who can do all of my packaging. And then from there, how do I get it into a store? And so for anyone who's starting a business, whether it's a product-based business or a service-based business, really understanding your market is critical. Because at the end of the day, if you don't have someone who's going to buy your product, you don't have a business. So that's one, really understanding the marketplace, understanding how your product will fit in, that is, and understanding what solution you're bringing to the marketplace. I'm, mm. I'm of, the, of the business mindset that if you're in business, you shouldn't only be concerned about profit. You should also be concerned about social impact. That's the model that I've used to grow my business. And I think that particularly in the diaspora and the black and minority community, we always need to be thinking about what is the social impact that I'm making? How, am I, how is my business changing my community for the better? Mm, yeah, nah, you hit it on the head with that. You hit it on the head with that. And um, I was doing, like I said, I did some research beforehand. And I saw in the interview, you said when you first started, people didn't really take you seriously because of your youth. And I think oh, yeah. um, I, I definitely <laughs> want you to speak to that because I know a lot of us are young entrepreneurs or young people, young teachers, young, like where you were younger in our career. And you you caught off, you have all these ideas, all this ambitions, and sometimes we even have a lot of experience, but you know, there's always gatekeepers. And they're looking at you like, okay, cool story, especially being a African-American female with these ideas. So can you please speak to us and, and share a few stories about how initially, how you, okay, when how initially when you first started, some men not took you seriously and some things you did so that they had no choice but to respect you and what you had to offer. Yeah. um, (laughs) 
I, you know, I was in my early twenties. I looked like I was still in college. Um, and it was very difficult for people to take me seriously, especially also since I had created this 501c3 nonprofit structure. So it was kind of like, oh, this person is so naive and idealistic. Here's, an, <laughs> here's another nonprofit. Like, oh, how cute. Um, and so I would get that a lot. And, um, you know, like you said, there are gatekeepers, there are elders who think that they need to like pledge you in order, <laughs> you know, in order for you, for them to be able to help you. And honestly, I think the way that I addressed it, not by, you know, not intentionally, I would just show up very well prepared in any environment. I would show up overly prepared just because I knew that uh, people wouldn't take me seriously. So at minimum, I need to I needed to make sure I had my stuff together if I wanted to be taken seriously. So I think we underestimate the importance of just showing up, being prepared. You know, I show up to meetings 10 minutes ahead of schedule, 15 minutes ahead mm -hmm. of schedule. Like, don't show up late. Like, you can't get anyone to take you seriously if you're showing up late to meetings. Like, there are those bare minimum things. And mm -hmm. then there are the other things that it's just just have your information together. Know what it is that you're asking for. You know, be presentable. Um, I know when I, um, when I went to the Oprah uh, leadership program, I didn't know who was going to be there. And so I came overly prepared. And because I came overly prepared, meaning I was the only uh, leader that brought a product. <laughs> what? Yeah. So they, they people showed up to Oprah Leadership Day with no product, no nothing, just showed up? I showed up with gift boxes, with <laughs> nice ribbons, with my products in there. Um, I gifted all of the um, facilitators. I gifted all of the other leaders with little gift boxes and gift bags that I hand put together. <laughs> You know, mm -hmm. I literally drove from Washington, D.C. to New York with all this stuff in the back of a car and got to the hotel, like ready to get my products out there. And it was amazing because I was the only person who did that. And um, it made me stand out. And because of that, I was able to get a second feature in the magazine where they featured my products. And so, you know. Here's the thing, whether you're young or old, you have to be able to show that you can deliver. Mm. And I think that when you show up and you show up in your best way possible, you show up prepared, you show up overly prepared in some cases, and you deliver, no one can take that away from you. You know, after getting, in the op op getting into the Oprah magazine was actually a turning point because people who didn't want to meet with me were now interested in meeting with me. And mm. so it's just one of those things. And, you know, you have to go through the process of earning your place. And I know that it can be frustrating, especially if someone is very energetic and passionate about something. But if you want other people to invest in you, you have to make sure that you've invested in yourself which means being prepared, which means showing up and excelling, providing high quality products, high, you know, your, even yourself, making sure that you are presenting your best foot forward. Yeah, that's, um, there's nuggets on nuggets on nuggets. You're making my job so, so, so easy. <laughs> and uh, to that, to that, and I want to ask this question, your team, as I research, has done an amazing job with press, I mean, getting great features and whatnot. So can you speak about how, because I know some people may be listening, like, how in the world does she even get invited to this Oprah Leadership Summit? Like, I have this product, I have this idea, and I don't even know, like, I'm, I have, I've been doing stuff. I mm -hmm. mean, we're, we're getting traction on a local level, but I, I'm not getting press or I'm no, nobody outside of my, my team or my hometown knows about me. So, well, like, what would you say to that? Like, how have you done it? Honestly, remember when I was talking about how one of the first things I did was just talk about my idea? It didn't mm -hmm. matter if I was at a bus stop, on the metro stop, <laughs> if I was, you know, um, at that time, there was the Chinatown buses between, you know, D.C. and New York. They were really starting mm -hmm. to get popular. It didn't matter who was sitting next to me. I would tell them about what was going on in my life. Uh -huh. <laughs> I'd be yep, like, I yep. have this idea. And 
from there, like when you put yourself out there, it definitely doesn't happen immediately. But what happens is that people start associating you with your idea. And I, mm. I, I remember, you know, I would go to church and people would be calling me Shea Butter and not my name because I was always <laughs> talking about Shailene and I was always talking about these women. And so if you want people to start talking about you, you have to start talking about yourself. And not from the perspective of, oh, I'm the bomb or I have this amazing idea, blah, blah. No, that was not how I presented it. I would just talk about the issue. I would talk about why this is important to me. I would talk about my experience in the Peace Corps. I would talk about how I had this idea to empower women. And then from there, people start seeing that, okay, this isn't just something that she is lightly interested in. This is actually something she really believes in. And then after year one, then year two. And then what happens is that people start sending you resources. The Oprah mm. thing happened because three separate people sent me the application. They're like, Rahul, I saw this and I thought you would be perfect for it. You need to apply. Mm -hmm. And it was the same thing with getting on President Obama's advisory council on doing business in Africa. Two different people sent it to me and said, Rahul, you definitely need to apply to this. And that was because they, they, they know me and they know what I'm trying to do. And they are, be they've become like advocates for me. Right. So I might mm -hmm. not even see a resource or an opportunity, but because I've been able to talk to so many different people, when they see an opportunity, they think of me and they send it to me. And it's the same thing for anyone who's like, Oh, you know, I'm really grinding the pavement and you know, only people in my small circle know about me. Well, that means you're, you're not talking to enough people. And it doesn't mean, you know, sharing your trade secrets or anything like that. But it just means wherever you go, talk about your idea, talk about your vision, talk about what's important to you and why it's important to you. And what will eventually start happening over time, again, this doesn't happen overnight, you'll start seeing that other people will start advocating for you and sending you resources and wanting you to be successful. Yeah, you hit on the head, you hit on the head and you never know and you never know who you sit next to. Like, please don't judge people. Like, I mean, I've had opportunities come from people. I was like, "Yo, you you can't be connected to that." <laughs> but you just you you just never know. And I and I I also want to say because I, I read somewhere else, and I've I've it happened to me as well that Oprah was definitely a turning point. But I know from from what I've read, it wasn't like okay, I got the Oprah feature now. Sales just flew off the charts. Oh, like no. it was like you know, and I and I, that's when I read it. I was like, oh man, she knows business. She knows the game because you know print nowadays it doesn't translate into you blowing up. Nope. Like it it's just it's. But luckily, you utilize that into a pitching point when you're talking to people. Like oh, by the way, I've been featured on X, Y, and Z because I think. A lot of us were looking for press, but at the end of the day, press is good, but you still have to have that quality product and be doing the work. Because when I like I, to be personal, two years ago, I wrote my first book and I had a 30 minute like television feature and I killed it. Like I killed it. And I was like, yo, I'm on TV. I'm about to blow up. I had I was in the newspaper, all this other stuff. And then like I was like, yo, a month went by and no calls, no speaking <laughs> engagements. Nobody bought no books. It didn't do anything. I'm like, bro, I'm on TV for 30 minutes. Like right. what? I'm sitting here. And then I realized it hit me like, first of all, nobody. I mean, print is cool, but a lot of my demographics not even on print anymore. So they're not reading that. I mean, it's no, no disrespect to do, like some other great magazines out there. Of course, they're great to be featured in so if you can leverage. But if you just think getting a feature in the roots, getting a feature in um, Black Enterprise or something like that is just going to put you on a whole different level. It, it, it is not it doesn't happen like that. So I was glad you were able to share with the audience that, of course, getting in print, getting more exposure is great. But if you don't have a great product and if you're not ready to blow and I love how you said you're prepared for interviews, because a lot of people, they're not ready to blow because if they were what they were going to get certain opportunities, they wouldn't even be prepared to take advantage of. them. Right. Yep. Like, do you, I mean, people come to me, hey, Greg, you put me on a speaking tour. You don't even have an electronic press kit, bro. You don't have a website. So how can I help you out, man? Like, how yeah. can I pitch you? Yeah. So that's crazy. And I definitely, I would be remiss if I didn't ask this question because I have everybody. I mean, you've highlighted some of the successes you've had. You've, you, I mean, you're in Whole Foods, on, on, on council, speaking at schools. But what has been the toughest moment during this journey? And Shay, and in your business journey so thus far, 
I've had many. Uh, <laughs> I'm t- trying to think of which one. There have been so many. <laughs> this is the thing that, I, and I kind of touched upon this um, in a con- another conversation I was talking about the fact that we have this mentality in our society that eventually one day you just arrive and it's like everything is like utopia, all your dreams are coming true, all, you know, every goal you've ever set for yourself you've achieved and you can just like sit down and rest. And it's not that, it's, no, it's, it's never like that. Every period, every season comes with its own pluses and minuses, comes with its own, you know, peace and challenges. And I think that it's really important when we talk about challenges, we put it into the perspective of the season that you're in. Because, you know, getting into Whole Foods was a challenge. You know, it was great. But then now I had to scale production. But not only that, I had to redo my packaging, which was a challenge. And then I initially worked with the wrong contract manufacturer who missed a delivery date for the first time I had to get my products on shelf, which caused mm. ramification of issues. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it's, I think that oftentimes when we talk about challenges, like, oh yeah, that was back in the day. I don't experience any challenges anymore. <laughs> and it's not the case at all. Every mm-hmm. season, every period comes with its own challenges. The key though is really, and this is where the visionary, the leader, the CEO, your team members, everyone around you really has to have some of the skills that we don't often talk about, which is how do you deal with a disappointment? How do you Mm -hmm. deal when something doesn't work out? Because regardless of what challenges may come, if you have figured out how to deal with just the ups and downs of life, you then start seeing that regardless of the season, regardless of the challenge, you're going to get to the other side. You will get through it and you'll, and you'll move on to whatever <laughs> new experience, whether it's positive or negative, is coming down the pipeline. Mm, yeah. So many jewels from that. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. And as we transition in the second round, I have one last question for this first round. And knowing what you know now, what would you tell yourself when you first started Shailene? When I first started Shailene, I did not spend enough time in the planning process. Um, I am the type of per- person who acts and then thinks later. <laughs> Amen. I am too. <laughs> and I, I think a lot of times, like when you're passionate about something, when you have a great vision, you just want to move. You just want to go. And then the opposite of that is someone who has a great vision and has great ideas, but is really scared to act. And I think neither one of those are positive. Um, You need to have a balance of the two where you have a great vision, you have great ideas, but then you plan. And a lot of times I'm walking before I crawled. And sometimes it's really important to go through the crawling process (laughs) because you're going to (laughs) learn something that's going to help making walking easier or help making the running, you know, easier. And so I would have spent a lot more time planning. I mean, I didn't start developing a real business plan until probably four or five years into Shailene. You know, that, Mm. you know, I had ideas, I would put together like strategy papers and I would do this and that, but I didn't really sit down and think everything through. And so I think planning would have been um, really beneficial for me to do that earlier on. Another thing I I would say is before you start any business, you need to understand the financials, like the back of your hand. You need to understand your margins. You need to understand how you're going to scale. All of that. That is so critically important. And um, before you know, you start anything, the financial piece, and a lot of times it's scary because we don't like talking about money. We don't like talking about um, you know, the numbers because a lot of people, we're not really comfortable with it. I definitely can say from my, from my experience, you know, I stopped taking math after calculus. I was like, I don't need to take math anymore. <laughs> I can add and subtract and multiply. What else do I need math for? And um, really understanding your financial model, what is driving your projections, you know, what assumptions are you making? All of those things, and this is where getting a score counselor would be helpful for someone who's uncomfortable with the financial piece. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Nah, that's real. That's real. That's real. So 
All right, we're going to transition to second round, second round, second round. So we're going to talk about your present day, what it looks like. And the first question for you is, what is a typical day like for you? And I know I ask everybody this question. Everybody's like, there's no typical day. Everybody's giving me these cool answers. But if you can just, if you can just show our audience from from outside of the random and crazy days, like what is a typical day like for you? Like what do you do? My typical day is very boring. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, I'm in and out of meetings. I mean, you know, I'm doing everything. We're still a small business, so I could be doing everything from going to the post office to send out orders to, you know, meeting with vice presidents of countries and presidents of countries in Africa. So it's like, it just depends. Um, but most of the time, it's lots of meetings. It's lots of following up with people. Um, it's checking on my inventory. It's working with the production team. Um, and really trying to, to the best of my ability with all of this, support my team. Um, mm-hmm. And But it's a lot, a lot of meetings. I spend quite a bit of time in meetings. I've been also trying to build in more time for me to just not be moving from one meeting to another, to another, to another. I mean, today I had five meetings back to back. So it's like you can't really sit and take a step back and look at where your business is going if you're just going from one thing to another to another. And I think building in that process of, Uh, observing, you know, observing your business, seeing where the issues and challenges are and getting ahead of issues and challenges, troubleshooting um, versus, oh my gosh, now I have this emergency and I have to deal with it right now. Or I had to deal with it like two weeks ago. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I've I've been trying to build that more into my day. Um, But, you know, it's it's, it's really challenging. Um, I find that Part of my day-to-day is really properly managing and making sure that time is being well spent because time is more valuable than money. Yeah, Yeah. something you can't get back um, and really making sure. And that's why I also think, I know this is kind of um, going off tangent here to your question, but this is why I also think and really encourage people to do what they love, regardless of your fear or your apprehension around taking a chance on a dream or a vision, time is so short. Do something that you love. Do something that you believe in. Despite all the challenges and issues I face on a daily basis with Shailene, I can 100% tell you that I love the work that I'm doing and I believe in it 100%. And I think that um, when I hear other fa- you know, family members or friends who hate their jobs or, you know, who... <laughs> don't feel yeah. what you're doing. I can at least say, you know, I might not be making that huge paycheck you're making, but I can truly say I love what I'm doing. <laughs> mm. And to and to that and to that and to that, how do you go about how did you go about building a team? Because I know that's that's one of the biggest things that you let off your you let off the show with the quote. And I know a lot of us out there that some of us are solo, solopreneurs or we're we're, we're solo in our missions, whatever it is, what we're doing. And we're like, yo, I hear all these people talking about team, 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 uh-huh. team, but it's hard to find talented individuals. It's hard it to is. find this, especially when you don't, your money is not overflowing. Right. No, absolutely. <laughs> so please speak to that. A team will make or break you, point blank, period. And I've worked with people that made absolutely no contribution to the growth of my business, but they definitely took that paycheck. Um, <laughs> so I think I read it in an article um, last week, and it was talking about When you're building your team, don't hire people who want a job. Mm. And I think that 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 really resonated with me because a startup, a small business is not working for a Fortune 500 company. It's not working for the government. It's not working for a well-established nonprofit. You really are kind of rolling up your sleeves, getting your elbows dirty, like get it going in. And a lot of times it's not easy work. And despite, you know, the progress that we're making, the stores we're getting in, the features we're getting, and you're still working really, really hard. And if you hire people who are just looking for a paycheck, they'll just drain your company. Um, And so this is where identifying 
people who have the same value system as you, people who care about the same things as you, um, people who will be as committed. They probably won't be as committed as like the founder or mm-hmm. CEO, which is, <laughs> which is fine. Yeah. But people who who believe in the work that you're doing is really important. At least for me, it's been really important. And this is the other thing. You'll, you'll make a mistake when you're building your team. It's okay. Learn from that. Learn why that person didn't work. Learn, um, you know, why there wasn't a fit. Because there could be some people who are amazing on paper, who got their, you know, MBA from Harvard, who worked for this company and who did that, but they might not be the good, a good fit for your company. They might not be, be a good fit for your brand. And so it's okay to not look at what's on paper as the determining factor because I've had amazing people who look great on paper, but again, working for a startup, working for a small business is not the same as working mm. for an established yeah, company. It's the resources. Like you work from corporate, you just got resources for days, right. but when you got to do the work yourself, like, oh, I'm just going to corporate, you can outside, you right. can you can outsource like financial projection, you can outsource right. manufacturing, you just have some pretty idea right. and get other people execute. Right. And the, <laughs> but you know when to start. <laughs> Go ahead. No, no. And the other thing too is like, you know, people, if you're just there for a job, you just want to show up and get a paycheck. It's like, but you can't do that because I need you to actually do work. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you can't be on Facebook all day. You can't be, you know, talking to your boo all day. Like, yeah, because it's crazy. Because it's critical, right? Your impact on a small business is much larger. And that's mm. why really finding and identifying people who have the same vision, mission, value system, the same fit. And I will say that, you know, I'm really fortunate to have the right people working with me now. Um, people, you know, Tanisha, she, Tanisha did Peace Corps. So, you know, she worked in Kenya and Senegal. Um, she understands the communities that we are trying to help. She committed to the same type of service that I did. Ding, 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 ding. Great fit, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Elizabeth, who does our sales and marketing and goes and is literally the faith of the company when I'm not around, she goes and she meets with our buyers, she talks to them, she gets us reorders, she does all of that. You know, she has a connection to the continent because she's originally from Nigeria. Um, mm-hmm. She grew up, grew up using shea butter. She understands the issues that we're dealing with. And not only that, they care about the mission, this idea of women empowering women. I mean, this is something that we're all very committed to. And I think when you're building a team, you have to have trust. You have to trust that these people have your back and you have their back. And, you know, we recently went on a trade. We went, um, we did a trade show in LA and we had the opportunity to do a interview. And I said, Elizabeth, you do the interview. I do interviews all the time here. You do it. And so, you know, she was like, I don't know if I can do the interview. <laughs> uh-huh. it, it's so important to have your team members also feel um, that their contributions are important. And I was like, you know, everyone always hears from me. It's not about me. It's about what we're doing. And so she sat down, she was videotaped, she was interviewed, she did an awesome job, you know, and I think that a lot of times when a company is growing, especially when it's small, um, there can be founder founder syndrome, founder syndrome, and, um, you know, it can become all about the founder. And I think that's very mm-hmm. dangerous because if you want your business to grow, you have to have the flexibility and the elasticity in your business to be able to bring people in and then help them excel within your, within your vision and within your mission. Um, yeah. Another thing that's really important to me, because I love the work that I'm doing, I want people around me to love the work that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Why would I set up a company where I enjoy my work and then put people in, in positions that don't enjoy their work? That's counter to who I am. That's counter to the business I want to create. And so that's also important. I think sometimes um, from the founder side, there might be this feeling of, well, they work for me, blah, 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 you know. And that's not good either. You have to look at it. You're, you're, you're leading your business and you're leading your enterprise. And you want to make sure that the people who are working with you feel fed and feel 
like they are a part of the process and they also enjoy the work that they're doing. And so doing things, I mean, we did like a, a really great exercise that I thought was really awesome for our team. Um, it's called the Enneagram and I can send you the link. And it's essentially mm-hmm. a personality test that helps you identify. It's kind of like Myers-Briggs, but it has a more kind of, um, uh, what's the best way? Spiritual isn't the best way, but it's it's not just rote skills. You know, you, you're great, yeah. but it's more about like who you are as a person, what you enjoy doing. And we took that um, as a team building exercise. And it was really eye-opening <laughs> because it helped all of us understand our communication, strengths and weaknesses, what we like, what we don't like, um, you know, everything from when we like working, when we don't. And I think that when you are building your own business and building a startup and building an enterprise, you also have this unique opportunity to create the world that you want, right? The, to create the environment that you want. And bringing people in that and making sure that they are excelling and healthy and part of the process is really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. This new round, I got a new round. I'm playing with it. I, I, I had a couple guests do it and I have some great results. Some great ideas came from it. So I got three questions, right? Mm-hmm. And it's going to take, you can, you can um, keep it. If you could just keep your answers like under a minute and it's going to be, um, yeah, three questions. You ready? Yes. If you had $1,000 in a computer and had to make $10,000 in a month, what would, be the, what would you do? I would invest in online sales to hit my goal. Um, I would invest in Google Ads, and I would also break it down in terms of being able to drive enough traffic on my site to convert 500 people to order at least $20 on my website, which is essentially how much a j- one jar of my product would be. So that would mm-hmm. mean driving traffic to my site, converting sales, doing things like um, sending out e-newsletters, weekly giveaways, etc. Mm, good answer. Good answer. If you're a student with a lot of ideas but no money, what would the what, what advice would you give? Relationship, 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 relationship. If you want to get to money, you need to have relationships. The only way I was able to get my first round of private equity funding was because of a relationship. If you have no money, I think people overemphasize the importance of money and underemphasize the importance of relationships. So you need to start developing and cultivating the right relationships and not relationships that are not mutually beneficial. And this requires making sure that you're cultivating the right relationship, not, oh, I just want this person to do something for me. No, really investing in building the right relationships. Because as I mentioned before, a lot of opportunities that have fallen in my lap was because someone was like, hey, Rahm, I saw this and I thought it would be good for you. Those weren't people that I became friends with because I thought they would do something like that. They were people that I genuinely had a great connection with and I invested in building those connections. So for the young people out there, who are you going to school with? Who are your teachers? Who are your mentors? You know, who, if you're involved in church or any sort of spiritual practice, who are those people in those communities? And invest in building those relationships. Mm. You are about to deliver a presentation to 1,000 people and your computer and notes are nowhere to be found. So you just got to go up there and talk. What would you do? Run off the stage crying. (laughs) (laughs) no actually i oftentimes don't go off of my notes when i give a presentation Mm -hmm. um when i speak to people i i'd like to feel the energy in the room of course i will have key points that i want to say during my talk um Mm -hmm. but you know i've done presentations at the un i've done presentations at really large events and I it's, it's, I don't know how to exp- explain it. it. When you get into a room in front of an audience and you have something to say, it comes out naturally. And it's, I don't know, it's something that over the years I've been able to develop. Um, but I do, I do advise always having like very key points that you want to emphasize during, during your talk. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. But well, thank you for that. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Transition to round three. It's round three. Um, what like in the, in the round three, you focus on the future because I'm a big proponent. Of course, we, we talked about the past. We talked about the present, which you do day to day. But at the end of the day, especially 
in the type of business you work on where competition is so crazy and retail space, something is ever shifting, the marketing's ever shifting, the deli- everything's always changing. What's next? Like, so what's next for Shayeline in 2016? We want to start getting into the African market and emerging, emerging markets in Africa. And so we're looking at doing a test in Lagos, a test in Nairobi, and a test in Johannesburg. Um, and really, you know, we want to grow our distribution on the U.S. side. We, all, we also want to start looking and investigating opportunities globally, specifically in Africa. Mm. And the question I always ask, and no, actually, I never ask, and I'm going to start asking is, when you started, did you think you would be where you are today? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? There are things that you think you will accomplish and you might not within the time frame. And then there are things that you didn't even consider that happen. And so for me, I knew I wanted to have products. So I knew, you know, that's something that I would have. I knew I wanted to sell. Um, I didn't know that my first store would be Whole Foods, for example. Um, Mm -hmm. there's no way I could have predicted being appointed to a presidential advisory council. That wasn't even in my list. And so there are certain things that you're like, yeah, I definitely want this to happen. And you work towards it and then you might never achieve it. But then there are other amazing, great things that you achieved that weren't even on your list. Mm. That's real. That's real. That's real. So what's next for you personally? Sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. You know, ask me that question next week. <laughs> <laughs> right now, you're just going, you just right. you're taking it one day at a time, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and um, when it's all said and done, how do you want to be remembered? I want to be remembered for being someone who contributed in a positive way to other people. Um, that's really important to me because I think that there's a reason why, you know, I have my Guinean background. I grew up in Mm -hmm. the U.S. I did Peace Corps. And I want those experiences to translate into something meaningful, not for myself, but for other people. Um, And this is something that I've always wanted ever since I was very little. Um, I want to be able to, to help other people. Um, you know, change their lives in a way that allows them to just have access to resources. Because I know the only reason why I've been able to achieve anything is because of the opportunities that I've been blessed to have. You know, Mm -hmm. if I grew up in a different environment, if I didn't get a chance to be educated, you know, there's a laundry list. And I think that a lot of times in places where we see a lot of poverty, we assume we we forget that we forget they didn't choose this. This is something that has been institutionalized in a lot of places that that um, that we see. And so for mm-hmm. me, it's really just making those connections. I want you know to be able to look back and see that the contributions that I've made has helped other people um, access resources and be more successful. And then you know, from a non-professional standpoint. I, you know, I, I want to re- be remembered um, by my friends and family as someone who is very loving and kind. Um, and yeah, I guess that's <laughs> the end of the <laughs> day. Don't... Yeah. I don't want to be remembered as the mean person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, Rahma, that chick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She just kept trying to get me to get on the shea butter tip. Right. Like, I don't see it all the time in the store. Like, come on. Oh, bro. wait. I want to be remembered for giving everyone access to soft skin and lips and hair. <laughs> see, that, see, that's what, yeah. Mm, that's, I'm going to loop that in, 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 into the intro because I like that. I, I like that. Like, uh, I'm getting creative. Like, I, like, I want to be. T- <laughs> yes. If you have skin, you definitely need to check out Shailene. <laughs> All right. So we're transitioning to our last round, our final round, our most exciting round, which I call the culture change round, where I ask a series of five questions and get rapid fire answers. Are you ready? Oh, my gosh. Yes, I'm ready. <laughs> what is the best piece of advice that you've ever received? Don't give up. Mm. 
What is one of your personal habits that you can attribute to your success? Persistence. What is your favorite book and why? David and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell. And I love that book because it shows that even if you're small, you can still make change in this world. Mm. What inspires you the most and keeps you motivated? My faith in God. If you were the president of the United States, what is the first thing you would do? Give everyone shea butter. (laughs) Why would you do that? (laughs) To combat dry skin. (laughs) (laughs) And it's crazy. Side note. um, I read, I read, I read, I read. And you said one of your biggest demographics that you didn't even realize were um, middle middle class white women. It's crazy, right? They love them some shea. (laughs) <laughs> it's crazy it's just it's just crazy it's crazy it's crazy so i didn't even know i mean white white women europeans i'm sorry if you're white listening to us i'm not saying white as in white but you know white women that they like can they even use shea butter oh like, how, did that, how does that work Greg, are you serious if you have skin and hair you can use shea butter literally it's 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 a skin moisturizer and protectant and so shea butter has vitamins a e f and k it has essential fatty acid. It penetrates your skin at deep levels, so it helps with skin cell regeneration. Um, it has elastate in it, which helps with skin elasticity. So if you're pregnant, it helps prevent stretch marks. I mean, it has natural levels of SPF, so it can protect your skin from harmful rays. I mean, can do you want me to go on? No, I just I just had to hear <laughs> from your mouth. I just had to. I just had to. <laughs> I mean- don't try to categorize, you know, racially categorize us. <laughs> yeah, like, hey, that's why I say you're educating me, you're educating the audience. Because, like I said, um, when I see shea butter, and we talked about it earlier in the show, I mean, I just remember going to Walmart, getting them 99 cent ones where you just rub and you rub and you walk around, and you just smell like just like you just fresh off the see, off a plant, like a sugar cane. That's thing. why you need to get some of our shea because if you have poor quality shea, it's going to smell rancid. It's going to be crystallized and gritty when you try rubbing it in. So it won't rub in smoothly. But when you have shea butter that has been cultivated in an environment where women have access to the right production tools, have access to the right safety equipment, have access to living wages, so they're getting paid for their labor properly, you will get the purest, most nourishing product that doesn't smell that's not gritty. It will melt into your skin and you'll feel good because your skin is being taken care of and you know your money is going in the right place. Mm, boom, boom, <laughs> boom. And we can touch on it quickly before I ask the last question because I don't think, and, and I apologize, we didn't address this like directly early on in the show, but I think the most critical portion and piece of your movement that that jumped off the page for me is the access to living wages because mm-hmm. please take like I know that's the core and it's crazy we talked in the episode I might like take this audio and put it in the beginning because that's the core that really sh- that makes your product a lot different the, the, the base of like who is creating it and also that giving living wages so can you please 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 and I apologize for just hitting on it yep. the the essence of Shayoline. The essence of Shayoline, the soul of our business, is the are the women who produce this product. They are the backbone, not only of Shayoline, but of the entire Shay industry. You cannot find any product that has Shay on it, and a woman in Africa was not impacted. So the choice is: Do you want to buy a Shay product that's negatively impacting this, these women, or positively impacting these women? And I hope. The answer is positive. Now, there is a lot of misinformation when it comes to how do you positively impact people's lives, whether you're male or female. And here is my thing. I believe the only way to help people become their fullest is by giving them access to opportunities that help them to become financially independent. That's why I changed my model from just being a nonprofit to having this business component. If you ask anyone what would help them, money in their pocket is the answer. And not (laughs) because you're going to take that money and spend it unwisely, which for some reason we have this misconception that poor people don't know how to manage money. That's a misconception. When a woman is given access to increased income, she immediately invests it in who? Her children. She's sending Mm -hmm. them to school. She's buying them food. She's buying them school uniforms. She's saving. 
she's investing in land ownership. She's investing in other income generating activities. You know, um, oftentimes we have this misconception and it's really funny to me because the people who have always want to have this criteria around what other people should have and what they shouldn't have. And for me, when you're able to give people access to income, you're able to transform their lives because now they can have the autonomy to make wise decisions in their life. Yes, we do trainings with the communities that we work in. We do trainings on savings. You know, every woman in the cooperative is part of a savings program. Um, we do trainings on investing in other income generating activities, basic business skills. So it's not just like, oh, okay, here's access to increased income. Let's not give you tools. We do that, of course. But, you know, we have a lot of models where it's like, oh, if you buy a product from us, we're going to donate 10% of our um, whatever, or we'll donate this, or we'll send books to people, or we'll send bicycles mm -hmm. to people. And it's like, why don't you just give people money? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, why do you got to be the middleman? Right. Like, why is, why, are you, why Americans always playing the middleman? Right. <laughs> Tom's. <laughs> Like I'm, I can come. He ain't even coming in this podcast. Or I can say it. Like, come on. Like, I'm like, bruh. Who are you compared to? Like, I'm giving people shoes, giving shoes to get oppressed, getting shoes to get raped, getting. Shoes. I mean, right. I, let me stop. Right. But yeah. But no, Greg, think about it. If you work for a company or work for anyone, would you want them to donate to a local school or health center in your community, or would you want them to just pay you properly? Yes. I mean, thanks. This is not rocket science. But anytime we talk about poor communities, we always want to manage how much money they have access to. There's a problem with that. And for Shailene, the core, the soul of our business is getting money into women's pockets. In Ghana, this means helping women literally go from making less than $2 a day to making almost $10 a day, five times their government's minimum wage. And you have to place it in context. We're not talking about, you know, we're talking about a, a country where the annual GDP per capita is around $700. So that's mm. what annually people are making. So by helping women get to that income level, that's a middle class income in the context of their community and their society. Mm. And so this you always wow. have to put it into context. Uh, and yeah. I think that what we're doing is really not a hard concept. But we always get people asking us, oh, what percentage do you donate back? And I feel like that's the worst thing that's ever happened is that people think that donating is the answer. No. When think about a time when you didn't have any money or you were, you know, you were a student and you were just waiting for that, you know, check from whatever job you were doing because you're working paycheck to paycheck. What if that check was increased? We all can relate to that. So can these women. Let's not make it difficult. Money in people's pockets. Mm, yeah, I'm definitely putting this audio in the front of the show because I, I just jumped all over that. I was like, yo, that's the core. And you you, you took me to a whole other level right there. I love that. I love that. I love that. I love that. Oh, man, I, I can hear it in your voice. I can hear it in your voice. So. <laughs> oh, you you <laughs> done opened up a can of worms. I'm going <laughs> to That's, that's why Soldier is my name. <laughs> Yeah, you had 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 to touch the city, let them know where it's at. You got to every now and then. You got to touch it. They don't. You ain't got to yelled out or Obama out. Like we still get that. I love it. I love it. I love it. So our last question of the whole podcast before I let you go is: If you could change one thing about society, most specifically the African American culture, what would it be and why? I want us to believe in ourselves more. I'm hoping with the younger generation, this happens more often, but I have seen so many of us sell ourselves short because there is this inherent belief that we are not good enough, that we cannot excel or achieve as others do. And I struggled from this belief. I'm not just talking about, you know, oh, I've seen it in other people. I've seen it in myself as well. Mm. And we need, and it, and it makes sense. We live in an environment that tells us we're bad from the beginning. You know? 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I, elementary school, I would have a lot of negativity because I was black going to a pr- primarily white school, you know, and kids would call me names, they call me nigger and things like that. And so when you grow up in an environment where everything around you, the media around you tells you you're bad, um, people around you tell you you're bad, um, or even if they don't tell you, they just believe it <laughs> and you see it through their actions. Or the statistics. Every time you hear statistics about a black person, it's negative. Mm. And I yeah. think the fact that we live in an environment now where we see so many of young black men being killed by police, all of that, I believe, has an unspoken impact on us where there's a, we have to battle this internal message of not being good enough, of not being able to break free from these stereotypes and certain experiences that we have to go through simply because we're black, simply because we're people of color. Mm, And if I could change one thing, it would be for us to believe in our full potential. And part of that is supporting each other. We need to support black owned. We need to be encouraging rather than discouraging when someone is coming out with an idea or trying out a vision or a plan, you know, part of why I, I believe we don't have enough customers coming from our community is like, oh yeah, shea butter. I heard of shea butter already. You know, <laughs> like that, <laughs> that attitude. Oh, you guys ain't got nothing new. This, there's nothing new about this. And it's unfortunate because it is something new. We're talking about financially empowering people. And I think that, We have to believe in ourselves individually and collectively so we can address a lot of the issues and challenges that we're seeing in our community. Mm. Yep. 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 Man, that's some powerful stuff. It's been a fantastic interview. So um, before before we let you go, where can we find out more about Shayulene? Where can we find you on social media, on the web? Where can we order product? Like, what's the info? Where can we find all that? Funny that you asked. We actually have a coupon code for your listeners, Trailblazer. And mm-hmm. if they enter that on our website, shayaline.com, they'll get 15% off their first order. Um, they can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. All those platforms are at Shayaline, S-H-E-A-Y-E-L-E-E-N. And my platform is at rahma to write And so that's my, um, my Twitter and my Periscope. And um, I didn't tell you the meaning, but Yaleen is actually a Bambara word. And Bambara is a language I learned as a Peace Corps volunteer. And it means hope. Oh, wow. Thank you. Thank you for all that. All the information will be in the show notes. We'll definitely we'll be plugging it. Um, and I'm excited. I got, I, I got to try out some Yaleen. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, all, I'm all for it. Like, I, I'm, I'm still on organics. I'm, I'm in love with organics. But... I know I need to try something new. I like to support, so I definitely will be purchasing some some shea lean. So <laughs> that about wraps this episode up. Thank you so 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 much for giving us an hour plus of your time. And My oh man, thank you for having me. Oh, no problem. No problem. This is an amazing interview. And I know Minority Trailblazer Nation is going to be excited to, to, to continue to follow y'all on your journey. OK, so starting off on Whole Foods, starting off from, from wherever y'all start off. And now I just can't wait. I'm just glad I know you. <laughs> <laughs> You're glad we know you, too. <laughs> well, that's that's it for this show, guys. And like I always end, I tell y'all to do one thing, one thing, one thing only. And that is remember, don't you ever forget to continue to change the culture. Good night.